How's everybody today? You did it. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Brandon McCaughey. I'm one of the, one of the pastors here, as Tony said, and uh, I'm so glad that y'all are with us today, bearing the snow and getting down, you know, or up if you came from down below, I don't know. Well, we've been looking through the book of, we've been working through the book of Colossians as we study God's word. Our hope is that each of you would have God's word in your hand. So if you, if you got out of the house without a Bible this morning, uh, please put your hands up. Uh, one of our ushers would love to bring you a copy of God's word. And uh, let, let's go back and, and just recap uh, uh, just a little bit. You see, Paul has been writing to warn the Colossians about false teachings within the church and to encourage believers to be mature in their faith and walk in Christ's likeness, to live holy lives. And because followers of Jesus have been united with the risen Christ, we share in his power and his authority, and we can walk in him rooted, built up, and established in the faith. Because we are joined with Christ, we have the ability to fight against sin, to pursue holiness, and to live as God's chosen ones. Now, last week, Pastor Tony shared a little bit about family codes, the relationships within the household between husbands and wives and parents and children, uh, masters and slave owners or servants. And, uh, and in our passage today, Paul is going to take us one step further. He's going to look at how we are called to live alongside those outside the church who don't live in our immediate household, but who, who are maybe our neighbors or our coworkers. It's an important topic for us to consider, right? Because our culture today has become increasingly antagonistic toward the Christian faith, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> There's lies swirling around us constantly, and the enemy is seeking with all his might those whom he can devour. Now, Paul wasn't unfamiliar with any of this. Right? He lived in a culture, in a Roman culture, that violently persecuted Christians. And so he's writing to these Colossian believers to remind them of their responsibility towards their unbelieving neighbors around them, to the culture that is prevalent in their society. And this morning we're going to tackle this same question. How do we respond to the culture around us, to a culture that desperately needs the hope of the gospel? How do we faithfully engage with unbelievers, with those who hold opposing viewpoints, or those who are even hostile to our faith? How has God called us to live amongst them, to speak, to, to, to engage them in a way that honors Christ? Now, so, some of you know I was a missionary in Turkey for about four years, and I remember thinking how unprepared I felt every time I decided to share the gospel with a Muslim. And over the years, I tried lots of different ways to share the gospel, thinking, you know, if I could just get the right formula, you know, then they'll, they'll respond. It'll be great. And I wish I would have come across this passage here in Colossians 4 sooner. Because Paul tells us exactly how we can accomplish the task of proclaiming the gospel to those around us. So let me invite you, church, let's stand and let's... Let's read our passage together. I want the church to, to, to with one voice, speak these words uh, from Colossians 4, 2 through 6 together. So let's read this 
and the words will be up here on the screen for you. So it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask you to, to teach us today through your Holy Spirit that we would be a people who hear the words that you've spoken to us and we put it into action. We're not content to simply sit on the sidelines and receive your grace, but we, we want to serve and love you, Lord, with our very lives. And so we ask, Lord, be in this place, mold us and make us into your image by Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, you may be seated. Thank you, church. <clears throat> so Paul begins this passage in Colossians 4, 2 with a call to continual prayer. Paul urges us to be a people who develop this habit of constant and regular prayer. Verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now the ESV translates this verse as continual, or to continue steadfastly. Uh, but some of your versions might say, be devoted, to devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's message here is to pray without ceasing, to be completely devoted to a life of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, when I, when I was a young man, I, I read verses like this and I thought, well, that's impossible. I'm just going to check that one off to my failure and just move on. Anybody else there? Yeah? Pray with, anybody praying without ceasing constantly all the time? No, this is, this is a, uh, something Paul is telling us to do, but something we're going to fail fairly miserably at on a regular basis, right? But Paul, Paul knows that even though we're going to fail, this is still something the Lord wants to develop in us. I, I remember as a young man, uh, I, I sat down and I thought, okay, I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to start now and I'm going to go until I die. I think I made it like 15 minutes before I got distracted by something and then, you know, was looking at... Uh, Whatever else is going on, and I realized, oh my gosh, I stopped praying. Uh, anybody else ever tried to pray without ceasing? How, how, anybody make it more than an hour or two? That's pretty good if you did. Uh, well done. So how are we to understand what Paul is saying here? He's not just giving us a command that, to make us feel bad because we fail at it all the time. But how are we to be continually a people who are praying constantly? I actually like the way John Piper defines continual prayer. He says this. He says, praying without ceasing means at least three things. First, it means that there is a spirit of dependence that should permeate all that we do. So even when we are not speaking consciously to God, there is a deep abiding dependence upon him 
that is woven into the heart of faith. That gives me great hope. Second, it means praying repeatedly and often. And third, it means not giving up on prayer. Not, don't ever come to a point in your life where you cease to pray at all. And again, I think when we read passages like this, then we realize, man, I didn't pray without ceasing today. And we get discouraged. Our response is, well, I'm just going to not pray as much. And it's a discipline in our lives that we need to practice, like all spiritual disciplines. It's a good reminder, right, because it's something we all struggle to do well. Even the most fervent of prayer warriors doesn't pray 24-7. But I want to ask you, church, how often is prayer an afterthought for you? How often do we simply tack a prayer on to a meal or a gathering? You know, the token prayer. How often does prayer get neglected for things that we think maybe are more important in the moment? Typically, we're much better at prayer when things in our lives are kind of falling apart, right? Then we're real good at prayer. Paul isn't saying pray continually just when life is difficult, He says, continue steadfastly in prayer at all times. And it's interesting because in just a few verses, Paul tells the Colossians to make the best use of their time. And I would argue that one of the best uses of our time as the body of Christ is prayer. Now, Paul also says that as we pray, we are to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, first we're to pray with watchfulness. What does that mean? What does Paul mean when he commands us to be watchful in prayer? Now, the word itself means to stay awake or alert. The image is that of a watchman on a tower. Jesus rebuked his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, so you cannot watch with me for one hour? See, even they didn't get through a whole hour. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. I think this defines all of our prayer lives for the most part. But see, Paul and Jesus are urging us, when we pray, don't just, don't just throw words out to the Lord. Be alert and watchful. Look at what's going on around you and pray purposefully. Put it in another way, there are watchful prayers and there are sleepy prayers, Right? Sleepy prayers are those routine, robotic, unspecific prayers. You know, thank you, Lord, for this day. And those are good things to pray. But when it becomes that, that just that rote repetition, are you actually alert and watchful in your prayer? Sleepy prayers fail to engage in a spiritual battle. Prayers that are watchful are thoughtful and specific. The one offering prayer is engaged with the needs of those around him and the seriousness of the spiritual battle that rages all around us. As the kingdom of Christ advances and the kingdom of Satan is pushed back. Church, are you aware that there's a spiritual battle going on all around us? So why are we sometimes sleepy in our prayers? A watchman who's convinced that there is no threat Right, that there's no battle that the enemy is not near will inevitably allow his eyes to close as the night drags on. 
but a watchman who's convinced that the threat is real. That the battle is right on the doorstep and the enemy is near. Will remain alert and watchful as they pray. We are sleepy in our prayers mostly because we've grown complacent to the spiritual battle that's raging all around us. The battle is real and prayer is our weapon in that war. Paul encourages the Ephesians in, in, in verses 6, or chapter 6, 13 through 18, he says this. He says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then look what he says. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, it's great if you're ready for battle and you got all the gear. But if you haven't gone to the Lord in prayer, you're missing it. We are to be watchful in prayer. And Paul says, not just watchful, but thankful. Thankful. And this isn't the prayer we pray at Thanksgiving time, right? How important is is it for us to remember to give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances? Paul has said this through to the Colossian church again and again and again. Thankfulness must be a key part of who we are as believers. Recognizing that all that we have is from him. In thanksgiving, we see what God has done in the past. We've seen his faithfulness to us, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, and his love. And we express gratitude to him for those things. And I would encourage you, church, if you're ever feeling ungrateful, sit down and make a list of all the things that God has given in for to you, all the blessings in your life. You will fill up a page in minutes, and you will realize, man, I've been ungrateful, and look at how good the Lord has been. God is faithful and good, and he works all things together for our good, even when you don't see the end of that plan. So Paul says our first goal to engage those outside the church is to pray with watchfulness and in thanksgiving. Now verse 3 and 4, Paul makes a specific request to the Colossian church. He says this, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, if Christians are to engage non-believers, for the church to engage the world around us, the culture around us, the gospel must be declared. And Paul asked that a door would be opened for the gospel to go out and for it to go out clearly. Now, Paul has been warning the Colossians about false teachers pretty much for most of the letter. 
He said several times, watch out for those who are outside. And it's tempting to think that unbelievers are actually our enemies. Right? There's a tension here. He's, he's not saying that we should view them as enemies and, and cut off our connection with them. Instead, he's saying, declare to them the mystery of Christ. And he asked the Colossians then to pray for him to have an open door for the word, for the word to be declared. And so my question for you, church family, is in your dealings with non-believers, is your first priority the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus? And I tell you, what else do they need to hear from you? Your philosophy on the day? The cultural, you know, issues that you think are important? No, they need to hear the gospel. What broken, dying hearts need is the truth of the word of God, the hope of Jesus. And Paul says, pray for me that I would deliver it to them clearly. And, and I want you to remember, Paul is in prison at this point. Paul is in prison. Who is he preaching to? The, the guards maybe, the other prisoners? That is not a deterrent for him. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel and even when he's in prison, he's still looking for an opportunity to proclaim the truth of Jesus. That is an incredible encouragement to us, church. Because there's always an opportunity to share the gospel even when we look at the situation and think the doors are closed. The question is, are your eyes open for those opportunities? Are your eyes open for that moment where you can spread the truth of the mystery of Christ and what he's done for us, even when those doors seem like they're closed? Are your eyes open when you're at work, when you're engaging with your neighbors, or when you're at a family gathering and those family members have made it clear that they don't want anything to do with it? Are you prayerful and watchful and looking for an opportunity? Paul is encouraging us to always be on the lookout for those moments where you can share Jesus and to not miss out. Paul says those opportunities must begin with prayer. Now, how many of us, when we go to, to Christmas celebrations at family's house and you know there's a bunch of unbelievers there, how many of us go with that prayer saying, Lord, help me proclaim the gospel this, this Christmas to, our, to my family? Do you pray that in the car on your way? It's a good place to start. Paul says these opportunities must begin with prayer. Prayer to the Lord that we would have an open door and clear communication of the truth of the gospel. And, and I, I will tell you, when you begin to pray like that, it's incredible how the Lord will open doors and give you opportunities to share, uh, even if you're terrified to do so. Now, let's move on to verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, Paul's commending the Colossians to live changed lives. He's been encouraging us this entire book to live changed lives, holy lives that have called you out of darkness into the truth of his, of his gospel. 
to be consistent in the practice of godly living. And his focus is us is for us to walk in wisdom by making the best use of our time and having speech that is gracious. We'll get to that second one in a minute because that's the hard one. All right, the good news of Jesus should be spread to those outside the church because of the way that we live. The practices and behaviors of our lives should speak volumes about who Jesus is and how he has changed our hearts and minds. There's always a temptation for Christians to try and blend in with the culture around them. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians is don't try and fit in. But to speak with wisdom, make the best use of your time. And then speak with grace towards one another. You see, it's our love for others that allow us to speak the hope of the gospel to this lost and dying world. If you are unkind with your words, no one cares what else you have to say. Uh, The Puritan Richard Baxter said this. He said, we must feel towards our people as a father towards his children. Yea, the most tender love of a mother must not surpass ours. We must travail in birth till Christ be formed in them. They should see that we care for no outward thing, neither liberty, nor honor, nor life, in comparison to their salvation. When the people see that you truly love them, they will hear anything from you. Oh, therefore, see that you feel a tender love for your people in your hearts and let them perceive it in your speech and conduct. Let them see that you spend and are spent for their sakes. In verse 5, walking in wisdom towards outsiders first means making the best use of your time. Now, Paul's using a verb that actually originally came from the marketplace. That means to buy everything up. Right, you go to a vendor and they have all their goods on the table and you scoop everything, every single one of them up. So there's nothing left. And what is Paul telling the Colossians to buy up? Time. He's saying buy up all the time, every opportunity that you can muster. Better yet, buy up every opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So you could translate verse 5 as walk in wisdom, eagerly buying up every opportunity available. So having wisdom towards outsiders means that you capitalize on every chance you have to share the gospel with them. That you don't chalk it up to, well, I'm too busy or I got this going on instead. But you make the most of your time for the sake of the gospel. Why is this wisdom? Uh, Paul, Paul says it's wisdom because the commodity says we need to buy it up for the sake of the gospel is the one commodity non-Christians do not have very much of. Time. Time is short. It's running out. Life is fleeting. Paul says almost the same thing to the Ephesians in 5.16. He says making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See, he gives the Ephesians this this reason why we should make the best use of our time. Because the days are evil. Not only is time short, but wickedness is all around us. Sin abounds. uh, Spiritual darkness is everywhere. And this world isn't getting any better. It's broken at its core because of sin. 
Paul is saying, don't miss the opportunities because time is short. And we have this tendency to think, you know, I'll, I'll share with these non-believers next time. I'll make the most use of the, that, that conversation if they bring it up first. Paul's saying to the Colossians, it might be the only chance you get. I think the most challenging part, at least for a guy like me, is there in verse 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious. <laughs> Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. How do you capitalize on gospel opportunities when they're put in front of you? First, you have to speak. And, and, and I'll tell you, church, I don't buy the, oh, I just live a good life and people will just notice. No, you have to proclaim the gospel. That's not optional. It's not just about living a good life. It's about speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. You have to open your mouth. Everything in scripture tells us that that's part of the deal. You cannot remain silent. You know, it might seem obvious that, that that's true, but, but sadly, most Christians I know don't speak. They've relegated themselves to, you know, I just, I'm a good example. Well, that, I'm, that's nice. That's good. That is a good place to start. But you must also speak of Jesus to give a reason for the hope that you have in him. And many Christians believe they can share their faith without talking about Jesus, but please don't believe that lie. You can't share the gospel if you don't open your mouth. And we've been given a message to proclaim, not just for some of us, but for every person who calls Jesus Christ Lord. Now, the challenging part, though, is that Paul isn't just saying, make sure you speak about Jesus. He actually gives us a requirement in our speech. And that requirement is that our speech must always be gracious. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of a firecracker just by nature. And I fly off the handle sometimes and, you know, respond poorly. And I, I, I struggle with this idea of letting my speech be gracious in all things, everything I say and do. And I pray often, Lord, make me more gracious than I feel on the inside. So let me challenge you, church, when you speak with non-believers, are you speaking kindly, lovingly, patiently? Are your words filled with grace? Or are they harsh and unkind and unfeeling? Paul's saying it's not just the message that you proclaim, but the way you proclaim it. It's not just the message we proclaim, but the way that you proclaim it. Let your speech be gracious, filled with grace. Both the message and the way that we deliver that message should communicate the grace that God has shown you through Christ Jesus our Lord. You, see, you can never preach the good news of Jesus from a, from a heart of anger and hostility. From resentment or prejudice or ignorance or pride or a or heart of apathy. Or, or a guilt trip because pastor's telling you you got to preach the gospel to your friends. 
You must communicate the truth of the gospel because of the grace that God has shown you. Because he loves you. And a heart that realizes that truth should overflow with the hope that we've been given. Paul is saying, let our heart, our words and our hearts match the message of the gospel. And if you're speaking to a non-believer, especially on social media, and you're typing that out, and you think, does this match the message of the gospel? Before you hit enter, ask yourself that question. It's a good thing to ask. Or, hey, this non-Christian and I are having a debate at work. And they got me all fired up. What do I need to do before I continue? Maybe I need to take a walk. Go to the bathroom and splash some water in your face. It's okay. Put the pause button on. And ask the Holy Spirit to make your speech kind, loving, gracious, patient. As Christ would speak to you, speak to those around you. Far too many of us profess to have been transformed by the grace of God, but our speech doesn't match that transformation. And I am as guilty as any. This is what Paul means when he says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. It needs to be tasty, flavorful. Because they speak of the grace that has been implanted in our hearts. And words that flow from our hearts because of the grace of God should be beautiful, should taste good. So let your mouth overflow with the beauty of God's grace as you speak to those who do not yet believe. And a good metric here, can I just give you a little, a little hint? This is something I've, I've practiced. Is I often think, am I speaking to this person the way the Lord has spoken to me? Am I being patient with this person as the Lord has been patient with me? And man, that slows me down a lot of the time. And again, this is a spiritual discipline. It's something we have to work at. Right? You you weren't given new life in Christ Jesus and then just made holy the next day. We're almost holy. We're in process. We're working towards our redemption. And we must get up every day and train for it. We must put on Christ daily. And there's days where you're going to struggle and fail. Instead of throwing it off and saying, well, I just, I can't pray unceasingly, so oh well. But you get up tomorrow and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to talk to you all day. And you just work at it. You know what, I failed in my conversation with this coworker and I was really, really sharp with them. I'm going to go back tomorrow and apologize. And ask for forgiveness and show them Something that they never would expect. You see, Paul says, not to let your speech be gracious some of the time. Seasoned with salt some of the time. He says, always, always, every single time. It's the same command as praying without ceasing. Something we should put on day by day. That we would always be an instrument of God's grace to this dark and dying world. So how do we engage this world around us, church? With continual prayer, 
with a clear proclamation of the gospel and with speech that is gracious and wise. And Paul knows that each one here is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And we're all on that journey together. And some of us recently started and some of us have been doing it a long time. And we need each other to walk towards Christ's likeness. Because we have been given to one another to encourage one another to live a godly life. To allow the Holy Spirit to work in you to accomplish his will for your life. So practice these things, work at them. Pray and ask God for wisdom and perseverance when you fail. And don't beat yourself up about it. Allow his grace to strengthen you. You see, the reason we don't often speak the truth of the gospel is because we're afraid. But God is calling each and every one of us to, to be faithful. So let him use you to shine the glory of his grace into the hearts of those who don't yet know him. And as you move forward in that, pray. And then pray again, and then pray again, and again, and again. And you know, I, I, I'm a practical guy. I like, to, I like to, let's figure out how we can do this. And so I thought we should pray. Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. You know, not just a token prayer after, after the worship and before the sermon. Like, we should pray. So here's what we're going to do. Something a little different. And if you don't like it, I love you. <laughs> and that's okay. And I'll, I'll, Tony will buy you lunch later. I keep spending his budget with, you know. So here's what we're going to do, though, church. We're going to spend a few moments in our service praying. And on the screen, I'm going to put up a list of all the missionaries that we support. Some of you don't know that we support all these missionaries, but there they are. And sure, there's probably others. But these are the ones we support on a regular basis. And you'll notice Pastor uh, Gennady is there as well. And, and can, I, can I urge you, please don't miss out on coming down for lunch and hearing his story. Uh, it is a powerful, take the time. Make the best use of your time. Ooh, look at that. So I'm going to do this. We're going to spend about five, ten minutes praying for these organizations, these people. That they would make the best use of their time. That their speech would be gracious and seasoned with salt that our love and support and encouragement to them would help them proclaim the gospel well, clearly, throughout the world. And so I'm going to ask you to just stand up, get in groups of like five to seven people, just make a little cluster, and if you're not comfortable praying out loud, this is the time to practice. Because there's no judgment. We're all uncomfortable praying out loud at some point. And if, and, and, and if you don't want to do it, there's no, there's no requirement there's no legalism here. But just gather with your neighbors, your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. And let's just gather in groups of five to seven and let's start praying. Uh, pray out loud. Just pick some of these. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to encourage them, build them up, uh, help them to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. And then after that time of prayer is done, we'll praise the Lord with one more song. And then I'll invite you to come downstairs for, for a lunch. So, Amen. Let me, let me pray for us and then I'll, I'll invite you to stand and we'll get in groups. Father God, 
We thank you for how you challenge us. We thank you for, for your precious word. And even when we, we feel like it's difficult to live out, Lord, give us the tools we need. Give us the encouragement we need from our brothers and sisters to live out a holy life and to do it well. Not for our own glory, but for yours alone. So, Lord, each of these missions organizations are people that we support. They are real people bringing your gospel to different areas of this world. Lord, may our hearts go out with them. May we stand with them in the work that they're doing. That your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to stand, church. Find a group. And if you don't have a group, somebody will come and find you. So let's pray.